Good evening, church. How's everyone doing this evening? How's everyone doing this evening? It's a good, good evening in the beautiful city of Miami here in Brickell. So happy to be with you all. My name is Carter. I'm the lead pastor here at Crossbridge. And great to see some new faces and friends. Uh, you're welcome here. We want to say that this is a community that you can belong to. If you notice when you walked in, there's a sign that we put up every single week, and we mean it, which is that you can belong before you believe. We want this to be a place for you to journey through faith and be uh, safe to ask questions and to walk with God's people through the meaning of life and through who, who is Jesus and who is God and what has he called us to. That's why we exist here. We want to bring renewal to this city through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we want you to be a part of it and be on the journey with us. If you've been with us this summer, you know that we're in this series called Life Between the Times. And what we mean by that is life between Jesus' resurrection ascension and his return when he will come again. We live in these between times. And we're going through the book of Thessalonians. We're in the first book of Thessalonians in the New Testament. And in a couple weeks, we'll be moving into the second book of Thessalonians for the summer. And we arrive this evening at a very interesting passage. Before we jump there, I want to pose a question to you. And it's a very important question because it's answered in different ways by different people. And here's the question. What is the point of Christianity? What is the point of Christianity? Now, if we did a man-on-the-street interview style in Brickell, and we asked, what is the point of Christianity, we would get a lot of different answers. So I thought that some of the answers that people may have, whether or not they've been engaged with church, if they consider themselves a Christian, or if they completely reject Christianity, many people may answer like this. I think the point of Christianity is the moral teaching. Maybe you're here tonight because you think that the point of Christianity is the betterment of your life. It is to work on being a good person. And so the, the Bible has all types of moral teachings. It has famously the Ten Commandments. And then in particular, we have Jesus' teachings and the life that he lived that we should follow. And things that he said that we should apply to our life. And so the point of Christianity must be the moral teachings of the Bible. Now, let me say this. It is important to apply the morals and the law of God into your life. It is important to follow the way of Jesus because his way is truth and the Bible is true and it will bring goodness into your life and you will flourish when you surrender to what God says is good versus what other people say is good. But the point of Christianity is not the moral teachings contained within the Bible. It's an aspect of Christianity. In fact, if the point of Christianity were the moral teachings that you find in the Bible, then that means that you could completely transform and change as a person if you just applied all of the teachings. And though you may see goodness and flourishing happen in your life when you apply the truths of the Bible to your life, you cannot completely change. You cannot completely eradicate the inherent selfishness and envy and greed and pride that we all have as human beings. In fact, if you focus just on trying to be a good person and apply the morals of the Bible to your life, you may get depressed when you look at Jesus because you're constantly being evaluating yourself against 
perfection and constantly falling short. It's like watching Michael Jordan play basketball and then saying, I'm going to try to go do that and then getting depressed because you're so far off. It's like saying, after you watched Messi kick that incredible game-winning, could not script it, better goal for Inter-Miami, can you believe it? He's here, unbelievable. And then you're like, I'm going to go play soccer like Messi. And you get on the pitch and you get depressed because you can't do one one-thousandth of what he can do. And the same as if we compare ourselves to Jesus and his teachings and his perfect life. And so many people would, would then kind of say, well, the, the point of Christianity is not the morals of Christianity, though they're important. It's to get to heaven. The point of Christianity is to get to heaven. Jesus came so that he might offer a way by grace through faith in him that you might find yourself on the right side of eternity. The point of Christianity is to get to heaven. I think many people would answer that way. You know, Jesus himself said that he has come to seek and to save the lost. He has come to save our souls and to forgive us of our sins so that we might be justified or made right before God. The point of Christianity is to get to heaven. I want to say that that's not the point of Christianity. It's an aspect of the point, but it's not the point of Christianity. The point of Christianity is, drum roll please, can I get a drum roll in the room? Can I get a drum roll? Come on. The point of Christianity is new life. That's the point. From beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation, God is revealing his story and his vision for his creation ever since the fall. And it is to bring new life to you and to this earth. As Jesus said in Revelation, the very last book of the Bible, he said what he is doing. What is God doing as we live between the times? Jesus is in the process of making all things new. And his return is a return to integrate heaven and earth. It is to bring newness to the people who by grace through faith have believed in Jesus and been forgiven of their sins. And it is the newness that will be brought to this earth that is struggling under the weight of sin and corruption and oppression. The point of Christianity is new life. You see, finding salvation in Jesus fits in here. Following the teachings of Jesus fits in here. But you cannot isolate those things out from the point which is to bring new life. And here's why it matters. Because if you make the point of Christianity the moral teachings of Jesus, then the only thing that really matters is the betterment of your life now and becoming a better person now. If the point of Christianity is just to get to heaven, well, then it doesn't really matter this life. It doesn't really matter what happens on the earth because you're just in a waiting game until you get to heaven. But that's not the point of Christianity. It is bringing new life now. It is Jesus and the promise that he has given to us that he's making all things new. In fact, he's making things new through his church. And so we're going to develop this point, this overarching vision that God has for his creation, for you, for me, for this world, by looking at a passage and a particular doctrine in Christianity that is often ignored, overlooked, misunderstood, debated, all types of things. 
and that is end times theology. You excited? End times theology, the return of Jesus, a second coming of Christ, and this is going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, so if you have your Bible, you can turn there. We'll be in chapter 4, starting in verse 13. I'll have the passages on the screen behind me as well, and there's a whole bunch of notes in the Crossbridge Brickle app if you have that. The title of the sermon is Rapture, Heaven, and Resurrender. Okay? Here we go. You guys ready? Okay. I want to read the whole passage so we get an idea of where we're going through God's word together. And so we're going to start in verse 13 and read through verse 18. Here's what God's word says to us. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who are asleep. Now, asleep is a euphemism in the Bible for those that are dead, those that have died. That you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep, those who have died. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So there's a lot here, and I want to start with a question, and I want to ask you to raise your hand. How many of you have read the Left Behind series or watched a Left Behind movie in your life? Raise your hand. How many of you? Okay, a good bit of you. I did a, so, a, a social experiment at the Men's Social Hour last week. There was a big group of guys. It was awesome. Come out tomorrow. It's going to be great as well. And almost every man was raised with that type of theology, left behind rapture theology. And they had read the books, or there's like a, apparently there's a kid's version for the books. And then there's movies. They watch the movies. And so for some of you that are unfamiliar, as I was unfamiliar growing up, I never knew about it. I heard of kids reading it. I thought it was just like a fantasy, you know, story. And... And I didn't see the movies, didn't see the book, I didn't know nothing. So here's what this is about. The Left Behind books in the movies, they contain uh, within them and they promote a very particular theology on Jesus' return. It goes by many different names. I just want to call it tonight Rapture Theology. And, and here's, here's what this theology says. That Jesus is going to return, but he's only going to return to rapture the Christians out of the earth. He's going to come and we're going to meet him in the clouds, as it says. Here's one of the main passages for this theology that will be caught up with Jesus in the clouds. The Christians will be raptured out, taken out to heaven. Then there's going to be seven years of tribulation, war and disease and suffering that will happen on the earth. And then Jesus will return, and then he will set up a literal thousand-year kingdom where he will reign, and all these people will come to faith in Jesus, and it will be the greatest time in the history of the world. But at the end, there will be this 
whole undoing because Satan will be bound for the thousand years, then he'll be released, and then people will fall away from God, and then you'll have this great war, this great battle, but Jesus will be victorious, and then God will usher his people at the final judgment into the new heavens and new earth, and anyone that does not want anything to do with God, they do not choose Christ, they reject Christ, God gives them what they want, which is a life apart from him for all eternity. This is rapture theology. This often called premillennialism or dispensational premillennialism, if you want to get very technical. But that's what it means. And the big emphasis is on be ready because at any moment, you could get snatched out or left behind, which is why it's called left behind. Because you don't want to be left behind. I wanted to play a clip from the Left Behind series because I just want you to get a feel for this, okay? A little clip. Okay, check this out. He did, Chloe. Just like he promised, in the blink of an eye. What? It's true. Then why are you still here? I don't understand. You were here every day. You worked here. You preached here. That's not what counted. What do you mean? I knew the words. I could quote them chapter and verse, but that's not enough. You have to believe. <laughs> believe? Believe in what? In a God that killed my father? A God that grabbed my mother and my brother and ripped them out of this world? A God that crashes planes and destroys cities? He took them to protect them. From what? From the darkest time in the history of this world. Persecution, war, and seven years of darkness, he took them to heaven. Okay, I'm going to say this. As you're going to find out, I don't even believe in that, and it makes me nervous. You know, it's like the pastor gets left, and everyone's freaking out, and I'm like, hey, you know, let's get this right. But in the movie, the, the pastor says something. I don't know if it's in the clip or not. I think it's very telling. He says the following. He says that the only thing that matters is that you believe that you might go to heaven. See, the point of Christianity is to get to heaven. And the fear that is conveyed for those that are left behind is that you were not raptured to heaven, and now you have to face the seven years of tribulation and whatever comes after. Now, it's, what's interesting about this theology and this you know, doctrine on the end times is that it's, I would argue, it's probably the prevailing position uh, in the American church. It's very popular. Uh, probably most of us in this room, if you were raised in the church, this is what you're familiar with or what you were taught or what you just kind of assumed all Christians believe. And here's what's so interesting about that. This theology, this theological position is only about 200 years old. It was not the prevailing position of the church for 1,800 years. But for the last 200 years, it's grown in popularity. Now, I was asking myself the question, why is this 
popular? Why has it become such a prevailing position? I think there's a lot of different reasons, but one reason I want to bring to you is the advancement of our understanding of the universe and the cosmos, the advancement of science. There's been so much advancement where we understand so much more about the universe now than we ever did 300, 400, 500,000 years ago. We understand how complex it is, and it's mind-bending. You look at these pictures from these satellites that are shooting out across light years and the speed of light and sound and galaxies. It's, it's unbelievable. And, and what it creates is this implicit cosmology, this kind of cosmological position or understanding of the universe that we just believe and we just feel because those of us in this room probably know more about science. Even you're like, I didn't even like science. You know more about science and the universe than people thousands of years ago because we have learned and grown so much about the universe and our world. And what this has created is this feeling like heaven has to be way out there. Like, have you ever asked yourself the question, where's heaven? I talk about mind-bending. You're like, where's heaven? It's way out there. It's somewhere really far. It, it's a space. I, I imagine because we're space-time creatures, so we imagine everything to be a space. We know heaven is outside of time, but it's just really far away. And so there's this feeling like when Jesus returns, he's got to come back from far away. Like Jesus is way far out there, and he's going to come back here. It's going to be this journey back to the earth that he ascended from. And so some of these ideas that come up in this theological position, they make sense to us. Like he's going he's to come all the way back, and when he comes back, he's, he's going to pull us back to this other heavenly space, and then there's going to be this tribulation, all these things. A couple weeks ago, I was at the Frost Museum with uh, my sons, and we went to the planetarium, and we watched a movie on black holes. Unbelievable. And the planetarium is amazing, by the way. If you haven't been, you got to check it out. We're learning about black holes, and it was fascinating, and they're talking about the space-time fabric. I think the next slide has some, some slides you can see if you want to go there. There's some space-time, how, you know, it's a fabric and gravity pulls, and, and what, what it causes us to to believe, and when we think about the, the world that we live in, when we use this word heaven, the point of Christianity is to get to heaven, it's kind of this catchphrase for where God is. But the way that the Bible uses heaven is really, heaven is God's space. It's where God is. Now, it's hard for us to wrap our mind about where is heaven or what it looks like, but as I'm listening to the black holes, I started to think, okay, this makes a lot more sense. Because I didn't know this. How many of you have seen a picture of a black hole? Raise your hand if you've seen a picture of a black hole. Okay, some of you know a lot about science. We've got some scientists in the room. If you think you've seen a black hole, you never have. You cannot see a black hole. Now, we have all these pictures of black holes. They have like, you know, the ring of light around the outside and it looks chaotic. And you have the event horizon. They made movies about this, you know. And you, interstellar, you go into the fifth dimension. All this stuff is happening. You can't see a black hole. It's impossible to see. In fact, the only reason that we believe that black holes exist is because we see their activity. We see things happening, and we've called it a black hole because light and matter and things are being devoured. But you can't see it with a telescope. You can't see it with a satellite image. And I was thinking about this because this is how I think we're to understand heaven. Heaven is not God's space 
way out there. And when Jesus returns, he's got to return way far back to us here. Because God is transcendent and he's imminent. God is outside of our space and within our space. God is far and he's near. God is here in this room and he's out there. See, that image right there that you can see with, like, the fabric bending, that's, like, their idea of a black hole. I was thinking about heaven and earth. And when the Bible talks about heaven, and when it got, the Bible talks about God's vision for making all things new, there's this idea that Jesus puts forth and is propped up by the apostles and set forth in the book of Revelation that God's ultimate goal is to bring heaven to earth. We think about that. We're like, it's, it's way out there somewhere, and Jesus is going to come back, and then heaven's going to come back from there and come here. But it, it's more like a curtain because heaven is here. We just can't see. It's a curtain. It's a cloud that obstructs our view because God is active in our space, though he is also outside of our space. It is here we just can't fully see it, but we see its rumblings. We see its effects just like a black hole. We see the movement of God, the spirit of God. And the promise is that Jesus is going to return. And he's going to bring heaven to earth when he returns. And he's going to remove the curtain or the veil that, that blocks our eyes from seeing the spiritual activity that we know is taking place. And he's going to cast out the darkness and establish this earth in its perfect intended form with us perfected and God in the midst. See, there's this verse in the Bible that says that the earth shall be filled with the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. The vision of God and the point of Christianity is to make that true. It is to fill the earth with the glory of God, to remove the curtain that bars us from seeing God's activity here. In fact, Jesus tells us to pray a prayer. It's the prayer we just prayed. He says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Where? On earth as it is in heaven. Jesus tells us to pray a prayer that the kingdom of God, which is what Jesus talks about more than anything else, he says, I want you to pray for the kingdom of God. It's often called the kingdom of heaven, the will of God to come to earth, for that to happen on earth as it is in heaven. And we see these prophecies and these verses about the earth being filled with the glory of God. And when you understand that the point of Christianity is new life, you understand that the way in which you are called to live in the present is in light of that future. A future where the glory of God will fill the earth, where the earth will be made new and you'll be fully made new. And that heaven will be on earth and the veil that covers our eyes will be removed. That God's space and our space will be fully integrated. The theologian N.T. Wright talks about heaven, and he says that heaven is life after death. It's that catchphrase we use for afterlife. But he says that what the ultimate call and vision of God, as we see in Scripture, is life after life after death. It is new life after heaven. That's the vision of God, is that 
we will be with God in our new states, our resurrected bodies. That's the vision here, right? The Apostle Paul is talking about what's going to happen. He says, the dead, that's why we don't grieve like others who have no hope, because those that have died who are in Christ, they will be resurrected to be with Jesus. And they are with Jesus now in heaven. That's why Jesus, when he died on the cross, he said, today to the thief you will be with me in paradise. Heaven is where God is. It's God's space, and it's perfect because God is there. But heaven is not the end. The end vision of God is to take heaven, as Jesus called us to pray, and see it manifested, fully integrated, and realized on earth. It is life after life after death. It is new life. In the Bible, there's a term for this. It's called the new heavens and new earth. Fully redeemed, transformed earth with us as a centerpiece of God's creation and Christ reigning, Christ as king. You see, when we read this passage, and the reason why we kind of get maybe pulled away and, and why this theology of a rapture and all these other things have come down is because in this passage, there's a word there it's called, it says, caught up with Jesus. Right? Jesus is going to come in the clouds and says, we'll be caught up together with him. Now, in Latin, that word is rapimir, which is where you get the word rapture in this passage. Now, the problem is this, and this will help you understand why I've been developing that in vision for God bringing heaven to earth and removing the curtain so God's space and our space will be fully integrated and all things will be made new as Jesus promised because that word was a common word for a common occurrence during the time that it was written in the first century and even the centuries before and many that followed. That word caught up with or caught up together, rapimere in Latin, was, the, was a term that was used for the people in a city that would come out of the city to welcome back an emperor who was successful in battle. When an emperor was returning victorious in a far land, he would come back to the city and all of the people of the city would get caught up with the emperor and they would bring him back into the city where he would dwell and where he would reign again as he has been in another place. They would come out and they would blow trumpets and they would sing songs and have a celebration and they would usher this emperor who was victorious back into the city. Do you remember Palm Sunday when Jesus comes into Jerusalem on the last week of his life before he's crucified and buried and resurrected? What do the people do? They come up out of the city. They're caught up as a crowd, ushering Jesus in. He's this humble king. There's no grand parade this time. It's Jesus on a donkey, and they're singing Hosanna and laying down palm branches, why we call it Palm Sunday. He's ushered into the city. But he weeps over the city because he knows the hearts of the people. He knows their rebellion. He knows that they will reject him and he will go to the cross for them as he, for us. But when Jesus returns, we will be caught up again with him. We will come out again 
in the passage here, it says that the dead will rise and be caught up with Jesus as he comes down from the clouds. And this time it's going to be a trumpet blast. It's going to be a celebration. And then those who are alive when Jesus returns will join the parade to welcome Jesus back to earth. That is why the Apostle Paul says, I want you to encourage one another with these words. He's not giving this passage so that the church in Thessalonica could say, we have a very well-developed end times theology now. Thank you, Paul. He's telling them this because he wants them to be encouraged by the fact that whether they have died or whether they are alive when Jesus returns, it is going to be a celebration, a welcome home party, because he is fulfilling his promise of making all things new. God's space and our space will be fully integrated. Everything will be redeemed. So you should be encouraged because the end and the point of Christianity is that, Jesus' return and the newness that he brings and we get to welcome him back in because by grace through faith. That is the vision of Christianity. That's why Paul is saying that I want you to be encouraged by this. Don't debate over this. And I want to say this. There's so many different positions and readings of end times and all types of terms that we use in the church. And whatever position you have, it's not a matter of heresy. You believe in rapture, you don't believe in rapture. You're pre-mill, all-mill, post-mill, all types of other mills. You're all these terms, right? It's not a matter of heresy, but it is a matter of importance that you understand the end goal, the point of Christianity, why we should be encouraged by looking ahead at what God will do. Because he's bringing newness. All things will be made new. You will be made new. This earth will be made new. And we will, we will rule alongside of Christ as our king. He will rule over and he will sit on the throne and we will live with no tears and no pain and full of joy that is the vision that God has given us, and we should be encouraged by it. In fact, the next verse comes out, and, and you know, Paul is, is pushing this intentionality to our life. In chapter 5, it, it says this in verse 4, that Jesus will return like a thief in the night. Now, when it says that he'll return like a thief in the night, Thieves come suddenly and unexpected, and that's very clear that when Jesus returns, it will happen suddenly and unexpected. But then verse 4 says this, but you are not in darkness, brothers and sisters, for the day to surprise you like a thief. Now, what does that mean? If Jesus' return is like a thief in the night, when it's suddenly unexpected, no one will know, it'll be a shock, why would Paul say that it should not surprise you like a thief. Well, you see, thieves, they come suddenly, they come unexpectedly, but they also come to do something, and that's to steal. But when Jesus returns suddenly and unexpectedly, he's not coming to steal anything from you. He's coming to bring everything, the fulfillment of his promise, the newness and redemption of all of his creation. And that's why the Apostle Paul is like, be encouraged by these words. If you are in Christ, the dead in Christ, those of us alive in Christ, we're going to welcome Jesus back. He is coming suddenly and unexpected like a thief, but it's not going to surprise us like a thief because he's not coming to steal anything. He's coming to bring everything. 
so that we might now, in light of that, live a new life. Verse 5 says this, For you are all children of the light, children of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. You ever think about why the return of Jesus is often called the day of the Lord? It's not the night of the Lord. Because we're children of the day and we see clearly we are awake. We walk with security. We have nothing to fear. We are encouraged by Jesus' returns. Return. That's why verse 6, the Apostle Paul says this. It's so encouraging. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. Here's what he's saying. The way you live your life matters. It echoes in eternity. You are a part of God's grand vision. When you came to faith in Jesus, if you're here tonight and you believe in Jesus' perfect life and his death and his resurrection and his ascension, and you're not really sure about end times, but you know that Jesus is going to return again, if that is you, then you know that your life echoes in eternity. Here's why. Because when you came to faith in Jesus, he didn't rapture you out. He kept you here because you're God's ambassador. You're the hands and feet of Jesus. He calls you to live that new life now and to bring new life into every space and place that you occupy, to invite Jesus into every space and place of your heart and your life so that newness may come, that you might see redemption and change and reconciliation and all the things that God has promised taking place in your life now. That's why the Apostle Paul says, do not allow for spiritual indifference. Be sober, be serious about your faith, not dulled. He says, keep awake, meaning your faith is to be active and moving and growing. And then he doubles down in verse 8. He says, but since we belong to the day, since we see clearly and we have vision and we're encouraged, let us be sober by having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. I love this because it's, he's saying this. Let us every day, because our faith is serious and we are encouraged and we are walking with Jesus, we know the end, we know the victory parade, we're welcoming him back. Every day I'm going to wake up and I'm going to put on the breastplate of faith and love. I'm going to choose faith, I'm going to choose love, and I'm going to choose hope because the helmet that I wear is the helmet of salvation. And it is not hope like I hope, I wish. No, it is a certainty because we know of Jesus' return, and we're encouraged by the truth given to us. For here's what we know, verse 9 and 10. For God is not destined us for wrath. He's not coming to steal life. He's giving life. But to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. That is our hope, whether we are awake or whether we are asleep. Whether we are alive or whether we have died, in Christ we live with him. That is our hope. We choose faith. We choose love. We know that we are loved by God and forgiven by God. And the end of the story for us, the church, is a story of victory, a parade. It is a celebration. It is newness for all things. So your life, friends matters. It matters how you live. You are God's ambassador to bring new life into every conversation, and every relationship, into every place in your life. That's why Jesus said that we're to pray a prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You're God's ambassador. Should we be encouraged by this? We should be, and we should live in light of that. 
You know, I was thinking this week on how to close uh, our time together in God's word, and there was a song that I've been singing recently. I, I heard it at one of our other campuses, and we're about to sing it in a moment. It's called Resurrender. Uh, the first time I was listening to it, I was at Starbucks, and, you know, that kind of bench where everyone shares a seat, and I'm listening to it, and uh, I got a little charismatic. I put my hand up. I was raising my hand, and so I was like, that's, I don't know what they know. I'm not raising, they're like, you want a coffee? And I was like, no, I'm worshiping the Lord, you know. But this song is powerful because it talks about how we need to resurrender. You see, for many of us, we've come to a place in our life where we surrendered before Jesus. We've seen his perfect life and his death and his resurrection, and he forgives us for our sins. By grace, through faith, we are saved. We do nothing to earn salvation. Jesus has paid it all. But we can get distracted in life. Our faith can be dulled. It cannot be sober, and we can kind of fall asleep and not be awake and alert. We can forget that we have the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet of hope of our salvation, and we kind of get pulled aside by all the other trappings of this world, and I'm listening to this song, and I'm like, yes, this is exactly how we need to close. In light of what we know about our faith, that we have new life in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come, and Jesus has promised that he's making everything new, and we will welcome him back to this earth. Whether we are alive or whether we are dead, we will be with Christ for eternity, and the way that we live now matters because we are the ambassador of God, the hands and feet of God to bring newness into everything, for we are following and living out God's mission. We are his kingdom citizens. We're to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. God wants to use us. And that means that for us, I can speak for myself, there are places in my life that I need to resurrender. There are places in my life that I've kicked Jesus out of. Maybe not intentionally. And I'm like, no, Jesus, you need to occupy this space. You need to occupy these thoughts. You need to occupy that relationship again. I need to resurrender back to you. I need to put on again the breastplate of love and faith and the helmet of hope, because I'm your people. We are your people. This is how you've called us to live.